Hello all you kings, queens, and those in between, Parish here, and welcome to episode 10 of the Busted Limes podcast. I just wanted to let you know that this episode contains discussions of the untimely passing of Chadwick Boseman once we get around to talking about Black Panther. We understand that this is a very upsetting topic for a lot of people, so I just wanted to give you all a brief heads up so just so that you could brace yourselves for it. And in spite of that, um, I hope that you enjoy this episode regardless of what the whims of film Twitter say. Seth. Alright, so let's go ahead and start phase part one of phase three. Yeah. Because I severely, severely underestimated how long this phase is. I really thought it was, it went from here to Infinity War and that was one phase and then Infinity War to the end was another phase but nope it's all considered phase three yeah no phase three the mcu too big to handle um (laughs) i did not uh test that joke enough before i said it but it's recorded so it's there yep it's there so yep it's too late can't take it back can't take it back but anyway so the way we're splitting up phase three is um this episode will be civil war up through black panther and then the next episode will be infinity war through endgame we debated back and forth a lot about how to split the phase and ultimately i felt like um infinity war should definitely be either the beginning or the end of an episode didn't feel right to do it in the middle and we also kind of wanted the episode the movies to be split equally between episodes so this is what we ended up with it's funny that you mentioned Endgame was the last one because the last one is technically far from home. Right, they pulled in, did like with Ant-Man Phase 2 where it doesn't actually end with an Avengers movie, but we'll discuss that in the next episode. Um, but yeah, Phase 3 Part 1, and honestly, I was really looking forward to this episode because I, I feel like from Civil War onwards is really where the MCU hit its stride. Like, I think for me there are two specific moments where the MCU really, like, I guess, earned my trust as a consumer, Guardians of the Galaxy is when I realized they can literally take anything and make gold from it if they try hard enough. And then right. I'll discuss what I think is probably my only personal exception to this rule, but I feel like from Civil War onwards, well, no, not even an exception. I think from Civil War onwards, I don't think the MCU released a single objectively bad movie. Uh, that's going to be, yeah, like you said, that's going to be subject for debate later yeah, on. But I mean, like you said, next episode. So, But you can listen to any of our previous episodes if you want to hear which MCU movies we do think are objectively bad. Spoiler alert, they're the exact ones you think. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, this phase kicks off with motherfucking Civil War. Which, in case you're wondering what? how I feel about Civil War, I saw this movie in the theaters three times. I think that's the record for most times I have seen a movie while it was in theaters. Jesus Christ. The only movie that I've watched more than once in a theater period was Pacific Rim. Yeah. And I only watched it. And even then I only watched it twice. Yeah. No civil war was like, and still is to me just such, I think it takes everything that people love about over the top comic book movies and the MCU's brand of like, kind of but not really trying to ground it in some kind of reality and just concentrates it into just two and a half hours of comic book coming to life like i think this movie more than any other movie up until this point felt like a comic book come to life yeah exactly so uh you just want to skip right to the to the centerpiece of the of of what this of this movie the airport fight scene um, like, yeah, let's just start talking about the action since I think that's what people remember this movie the most about. And the plot, we can have, that's basically, could be its own episode. But, like, yeah, the airport yeah, fight yeah. scene, I mean, I don't, I can't think of another scene in the MCU that's been hyped up that much just from the trailer alone. And it literally felt like a comic splash page come to life. Yeah, because they didn't even show the full context in the trailer. Because uh, Spider-Man was not in the run-up to the Clash in the f- first trailers. Nope, they added him in later. Yeah. And, I mean, I think it says a lot about this movie is that, like, it has more... If you had made a top ten list of the most iconic fights in the MCU, more than one of the entries mm-hmm. would be from Civil War. Because this also has that fight scene at the end, the bunker fight scene. Yes. And not to mention, like, Black Panther's introduction... Yes, which I have that in my notes here. It's like, this seemed to be the point where the MCU, they realized that, hey, we're actually kind of good at this introducing characters and the ensemble movies thing. Maybe we should do that with here. Yeah, and like, 
the fact that this movie absolutely sticks the landing with both, both Black Panther and Spider-Man's introduction is like can't be understated a, how well they pull that off. Yeah, it what made it even more impressive that we mentioned this in the Ant-Man segment last time was uh that we weren't a hundred percent sure that Spider-Man was even going to show up in this movie. Yeah, until that until, trailer dropped well, the second, the second. But uh, yeah, and, but still, we didn't know really how they were going to introduce Spider. They didn't know. Like, I mean, this isn't news mm-hmm. to anybody now. I think, but there were two versions of the script: one with and without Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, and yeah. So talking about the script and the plot, I mean, this is still one of my favorite plots in the MCU because. Here's the thing about this movie, and I, I really want to talk mm-hmm. about this because I think people who, you know, dislike this movie or dislike parts of the movie kind of miss this, not to, like, insult anybody's mm-hmm. intelligence, but I think it's worth emphasizing. Of course. The whole plot of this movie hinges on the, this important fact. No one in this movie at any point is emotionally stable. Like, just to run down the list, Tony is still dealing with his PTSD and guilt from the fact that he basically caused the plot of the of Age of Ultron and he just went through a breakup. Uh, Steve literally just lost the only woman he's ever loved and pretty much the last tie to his old life. And then you have Black Panther, whose father was literally gets killed during the movie. You have Peter Parker, who is Peter Parker, and 15. The 15-year-old part (laughs) alone would be enough for him to be emotionally unstable to participate in this movie. I mean, the list goes on, but like... The point is, every single criticism I see in this movie is like, oh, so-and-so is selfish, so-and-so isn't acting rationally. Yeah, that's the fucking point. The tragedy of this movie is that nobody at any point ever acts rationally. Because being a superhero fucks you up. Yeah, exactly. And um, that that doesn't even come through in the action scenes. That comes through, like, that whole scene where they're just sitting and debating the Sokovia Accords is just... Yeah, it's it's sowing the seeds of everything that's yeah. going to come later. And I mean, it's worth pointing much... out with this movie that, like, the seeds of Civil War had been sowed far back in the previous movies. Like, the Civil War meme uses dialogue from the first Avengers movie. The, like, farm scene debate between Tony Stark and Steve, like, people freaked out about that because they knew Civil War was coming. Like, the yep. seeds were sown yep. way before, and I think... The important thing about this movie is where it stands in the overall chronology is like Age of Ultron is the Avengers at their peak performance wise, not movie Mm -hmm. plot wise. Right. But Civil Mm -hmm. War is them at their absolute lowest, and it's so important this movie happened before Endgame. Yes. Very important because um much like how the first Captain America, the whole point of that remember how you said the whole point of that movie was just to get Captain America in and out of the ice in time for the Avengers? The po- the function of this movie was to split up the Avengers by the in time for Infinity War. Exactly, ex- fucking exactly. And honestly, with the whole Team Cap versus Team Iron Man thing, it's amazing that they mm-hmm. pulled that off so well. That to this day, people still argue about which side was right. Which yep, actually, do you exactly. want to say who which side we took when we saw the movie and like which side we're on now? Uh, well. Yeah. Um. I was at when it first came out. I was Team Tony and. Honestly, I I, th- I think I like to think I'm still team t- team Tony. Yeah, going into the movie, I was team Cap. Now I'm team everybody mm-hmm. in this movie was wrong and just needed a fucking therapist. You damn fence sitter! No, I'm not a fence sitter. I'm saying I'm going to tear down the <laughs> fence and beat people on both sides with the fence. Because okay, fair. no, here's the thing: like Tony is right. The Avengers probably need some sort of accountability system. Steve is also right, because honestly, the kinds of problems the Avengers have to deal with, they are still the only people capable of dealing with these problems. But neither side is willing to find a middle ground, because both sides are literally at their lowest mentally and emotionally. Right. Which is like, and that's the thing about this movie. Like, honestly, the only person who, like, really is, I I mean... At the end of this movie, like, the whole point of Steve versus Tony is they both lose because Zemo wins, which, that's the next point, talking about characters, Zemo, for me, is still a top five MCU villain because, like, he has a somewhat sympathetic backstory, but, like, he just plays the Avengers like a goddamn fiddle. Like, if if you're Mm -hmm. not a 90s kid, look up who Xanatos is, like... This motherfucker is Xanatos concentrated down into a science. 
Yeah, it's and and yeah, that, that, I think that's another thing that go that went overlooked back when the movie first came out is that the villain won before Thanos. There was Zemo. Exactly, the only villains who have won in the MCU objectively are Zemo and Thanos. And Zemo is Zemo doesn't even get a fight scene in this movie, and he wrecks the Avengers better than Loki and Ultron combined. And that's just it, like. That and that's just what made, that's another thing that I love about it is that it wasn't a literal alien or god that took down the Avengers. It was just a pissed off mortal, right? Man. Yeah. And in the meantime, Ant Man's just happy to be here, right? No, Ant Man's just happy to be here, and Hawkeye was just happy to get away from the family and kids for a little while. <laughs> yeah, and who knows what the hell is going on in Vision's head at any point in time? Not Vision. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No. And I mean, if we're going to just run down the same list of criteria we've been using, I mean, by design, this movie does not function as a standalone. It's like, aside from the fact that it's a direct sequel to Age of Ultron in the most strict sense, this is also kind of the beginning of the MCU not really giving a fuck about making standalone movies. Like, this is the point where they basically said, okay, look, you're either on the train or you're still at the station without a ticket. We're going full speed ahead. And I think to this day that it's still my favorite among all the team-up movies. Oh, for sure. Because, because like, it's like you said, the, the action scene is just spot on. I mean, and that action scene was just all of us it, as kids smashing our action figures against each other. Like, why are Captain, Captain Iron America and Spider-Man fighting? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. It's cool. Enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. It's the Battle of New York, just yeah. smaller. And on the other hand, like... Talking about how this movie does a lot for the overall overall plot, like you said, it sets up where everybody needs to be Infinity War, and the aftermath of the film literally, like, affects the way characters act all the way through Endgame. Not to mention the post-credits scene gives us our first look at Wakanda, which, I mean, those hype levels were unbelievable. Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. So, do we have any... Criticisms? Do we have any criticisms? Yeah. I mean, kind of, like... I feel like there are, like, I was talking about character motivations. There are some characters, so I feel like their motivations could have used a little bit more fleshing out, like Ant-Man just being happy to be there and Hawkeye coming out of retirement for some reason. Like, that could have used a little Mm. bit better justification. Oh, okay. See, your criticisms are better than mine, because I just have here that Steve should never have kissed Peggy's daughter. Oh, no, that's also on my list. And it wasn't her daughter, it was her (laughs) niece. But, like... That's, niece, that's one niece. of the worst Bye-bye. examples of, like, when doing something just because it happened in the comics, it doesn't pay off. Right. Yeah, which, I mean, yeah. and Sharon and- Carter, that character, is a whole, like, bag of missed opportunities that I'll talk about more in, and in Infinity War. But I will say that, like, in the original drafts of the movie, she was actually going to be, like, actively on Team Cap. So, like, uh, you know, she would have actually yeah. fucking contributed mm. something to the plot. <laughs> oh, yeah, other than yeah, other than co-opting Captain America's um, "No You Move" speech from the comics, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. which I mean, still a great speech. Yeah, all of my all of my uh, our criticisms, quote unquote, are just really nitpicks. Like the my other one is just like I kind of wish that they didn't that they kept uh, Aunt May as like this as an old and gray woman instead of the the milf that they want uh, Tony Stark to hate on. Yeah, I mean, but, like, and we'll talk about this more in Homecoming, but I feel like what they ended up doing with Aunt May kind of makes it worth it. Like, yeah, I think the fact that we're, like, scraping the bottom of the proverbial barrel means we can go ahead and just say what the rating is. Yeah, it's platinum. It's, uh, it's Oh. Scratches out bronze. Oh, yeah, no platinum. Yeah, no. I mean, th- this movie is <laughs> easily, like, Christ. one of the best the MCU has to offer. Like, I always said that, like, I could never decide whether this is better than Winter Soldier or not, but, like, it's one of those movies where it's, like, it's not my personal favorite Marvel movie, but if you told me it was, I wouldn't judge you for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to sum up here, it's a, it has a level of respect for its audience that you don't see in many other MCU movies, and, like Cap said, agendas change, but if only he realized that that uh, principle applied to him as well. Because if he had just budged a little bit on protecting... Bu- protecting Bucky he probably would have told Cap about what well, told uh Tony about <laughs> what he knew about Bucky and his parents True, but... but from Cap's perspective he wasn't just protecting Bucky he was protecting his only tie to his pre-iceberg life keep in right. mind Steve protected Bucky long before he knew there was any chance that Bucky could come back correct yeah correct Steve is a man of ideals Tony is a man of the solution he comes up with must be the best one that's that yeah that yeah that just puts a that neat little bow on that so um doctor strange 
Yeah, Doctor Strange. Okay, hmm. Doctor Strange is a pretty straightforward superhero movie up until the final battle, which is probably what we'll spend most of this discussing. Like, I remember at the time people called this movie Iron Man with wizards instead of technology, which, like, isn't wrong. Like, here's the thing with, I agree. Here's the thing with Doctor Strange. I agree. This is, like the one mcu movie that i think is mostly like the most formulaic is the subject matter isn't overly ambitious but it's well written and enjoyable to watch like it's a good superhero movie but it's not trying to be anything else and that's ultimately i feel a weakness especially coming right off of the heels of civil war and the fact that it was followed up almost immediately after by guardians of the galaxy 2 yeah. Uh huh. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, that's that's really all I can say about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean that it. it, yeah, it um... The visual effects are stunning and trippy as fuck. Like the dimensional antics are fantastic. But like, yes. as far as like the actual script, like Strange is set up to be a pretty interesting character, and for the most part, he is. But like, he doesn't really have that much of an arc in this movie. Like, his priorities <sighs> change somewhat, but it's like. The movie spends the first half of it telling Strange to fucking get over himself, but the end of the movie is literally just Strange winning by staying true to himself, which feels like a conflict of interests. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're honestly finding more to say about this movie than I am. Like, the only thing that I'm really... The only really discussion hook that I have right here is that do we really... Do we want to talk about uh, Tilda Swinton's casting? Oh, I want to talk about Tilda Swinton's casting. Yeah. Which all I'm... I mean, I don't have much to say about it, but I'm going to say is like, look... Did she play the role that the character was well written and she played the character well as it was written, but neither of those points are enough to make me ignore the fact that this role was originally an Asian man and they rewrote it to be a Celtic woman for a reason that I don't really understand and I'm not really interested in trying to justify. I think I think the justification they went or the, the the explanation that they offered was that they were trying to avoid like the whole mystic. Um, they were trying to avoid the old Asian mystic stereotype. Asian man stereotype, which I appreciate. But here's the thing. Yeah. With the fact that their method of avoiding the stereotype was to whitewash the character implies to me that they didn't understand how to write an Asian character that wasn't a stereotype. I'm not, like, why is it that this is essentially a Hollywood bastardization of, you know, Tibetan monks, and their most, their most impressive students are an American white man, and two European, a European white man, and then a European black man, and then a Celtic white woman. Like, why? And then the, literally the only, like, other major Asian character is Wong, who is a mostly a comic relief side character. And then the one-handed old Asian man who is literally only there for the stereotypical Asian fake-out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. wasn't great. <laughs> no. Like, but and then you have Rachel McAdams pretty much being wasted in her role. Like, she, she had a legitimately interesting character and they did nothing with her, really. No, no. She was just there just to keep him conscious while he was having that astral projection fight which was inspired no but... like i said the action and the, the yeah. dimensional travel stuff is great but i mean like really when you talk about big iconic moments this movie the only thing anyone really talks about is the dormammu i've come to bargain scene yes because that is legitimately the best final boss battle in not only this phase but i think it out of all the origin stories i think so yeah because it's very creative and you know that's the thing. It's great because it's true to Strange's character, but it's kind of an issue that, like, Strange staying true to himself is the big inspirational outcome to this movie when they've spent the first three quarters of this movie telling him that he needs to change. And he does. Yeah. 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 And I mean, like... Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you know, this movie works a lot really well as a standalone because the only major tie to the rest of the MCU is revealing that the Time Stone's location... But, like, right. as far as saying with the rest of MCU, like, I don't think any of us realize how huge the Time Stone's involvement would be going forward. Right, exactly. But, which, I, I there's a funny little detail is that uh, there's that scene at the beginning where he's emph- that emphasizes him picking out what watch he wants oh, to wear. Yeah. <laughs> foreshadowing, gets foreshadowing from the very beginning mm-hmm. that this is going to be time-related. It's like, I, I, thought, I, I thought that was a nice yeah, touch. It, it does say a lot, though, that the main contribution, that the Time Stone being mentioned at the end is literally this movie's biggest contribution to the wider MCU, aside from Strange himself. 
And I mean, like, I guess you could argue yeah. that introducing the concept of the multiverse ties in with the quantum realm, but, like, it, it's marginal at best. Ant-Man already, yeah, Ant-Man already did that, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean... So, uh, but, um, well, one other thing is that I've, uh, now that I know to recognize, now that I know enough about Mads Mikkelsen to actually recognize him, like, yeah. he's here. Yeah. They, he's here. He's here, and he fell to the dreaded uh, plague of the villain's development scenes getting cut for time. Yeah. I mean, I will say Barrett Mordo um, is by far the most interesting character in this movie, and the only reason I'm looking forward to a Doctor Strange sequel is the chance of seeing more of him. Yeah, exactly, especially with that uh, after after credit scene oh, yeah, where he, he does the whole too many sorcerers. Yeah. It's like, I really... I re- that, that's, that's another thing. It's been so long since this Doctor movie- Strange came out, I want to know what the fuck he's been doing. Right, exactly, and um, honestly, I I really would like to revisit this whenever they finally pay off whatever Mordo is doing, because oh, yeah. I think that would retroactively bump this movie up a bit. Maybe, yeah. But yeah, as is, it's just like a Bob Mordo has a better Origin character arc in this movie than Strange does. Honestly, he really does. Yeah, he really does. Yeah, yeah. like so. Yeah. Yeah. However, they oh. pay that off. He could be one of the best villains in the MCU. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but uh, we could only judge what's right in front of us right now. Yeah, and what's right in front right of us now, is what a I'd... pretty weak silver, honestly. Strong. I said strong bronze. Yeah, I said weak silver. Yes, it's a totally fine superhero so. film, but it's it's run of the mill. Yeah. 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 Well, time to move on to the next one, eh? Yep. Guardians of the yep. Fucking Galaxy Volume Two. Woohoo! This movie. Oh my God! So, so talking about the plot, I mean, this movie is great because it's all about the character moments and the character development. Like, event-wise, not a whole lot happens in this movie, but those events drive some of the most, I think, most heartfelt character development in the entire MCU. Definitely, by yeah. far. And by it's like far. the like themes I, that they like... explore are just so visceral in a good way. Like this, James Gunn took everything that was great about the first Guardians and dials it up to eleven in this. Yes, yeah, and like, for like, oh my God, there's so much, to, there's so much to praise about this movie. So I'm just gonna start with uh, my honestly, my favorite part is Gamora and Nebula's relationship. Oh yeah, that was extremely the, well done. Because oh my God, that was said, that that was one of the biggest reasons that I um, I'm so gl- that makes even the first movie better in hindsight because now that we th- they fleshed out their relationship with each other because tell. To this day, um, shit. What was uh, Nebula's line like? I want. You I, wanted. To, you oh, wanted to win. I just wanted a sister. I wanted a sister. Yeah. God, that. Oh, it heartbreaking. Karen to Gillan this is day. so was... fucking good. <sighs> Man. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, and I mean, and also, um, yeah. Shoot. Uh, every scene with Yondu and Rocket was amazing. Yes, especially the scene before they uh, jump into the hyperspeed or whatever oh yeah what, 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 what? Be, yeah the, the, they, the they jump speed. into the snapchat filter machine oh, yeah they, they jump into the yeah the snapchat filter machine that's what they i'm imagining that some like disney exec who's like 87 years old found snap discovered snapchat and was with emil james gunn was like can we do something with this and james gunn was like actually yes <laughs> but and yeah, then uh speaking but speak of james gunn's visual style i mean Every fight is amazing to watch in this. Like, you've got the opening credits, the final fight. Like, mm-hmm. it's just so colorful, but it's also also purposeful at the same time. There's very little wasted visual space in this movie, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Because the, the, I'm the when you mention visual space, the first thing that comes into my mind is uh, the scene where Yondu is breaking out of the jail cell oh, and yeah. all those bodies are falling oh, around God, him. Oh, God, Yondu's with... come a little bit closer scene is amazing. Like, talking yeah. about amazing moments, that, the opening credits, and, like, the end, which I, will be, like, its own section of the discussion. Yeah, I mean, let's uh-huh. talk about, like, the dialogue and characters. Like, honestly, with the dialogue, I love James Gunn's writing style so much. Like, there are a few jokes I felt like were a little misplaced or, like, didn't quite hit the mark. Like, but mostly, like, he nails it. Like, the humor dialogue, I think, is pretty much always on point. Like, the way they fleshed out Rocket and Nebula, who, like, didn't get mm-hmm. much development in the first Guardians, like keep in mind like james gunn's writing is the main reason why these characters are so beloved and mainstream now and this movie solidifies that this is the movie where the guardians became a family yeah for real and i think because of that you have to talk about how impactful yondu's death is like which for the record i'm saying this Mm -hmm. even 
after Endgame came out, that is the most heart-wrenching, tear-jerking, emotional scene I've ever seen in the movie. His death, followed by Peter's speech, followed by the whole funeral, it is, like, fills you with emotion. Holy shit. Yeah, it's just pure emotion from beginning to end. Like, everything from... Yeah, like you said, from Peter's speech to the fireworks to Sylvester Stallone coming back to give his pay his respects to Sean Gunn's character just yeah. cheering and screaming. Round of applause for Sean yeah. Gunn, by the way. Easily the unsung yeah. hero of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Yeah, because does, doesn't he do people's double duty here? He's he's the yeah, he's, Ravager he's, and he's also the... Yeah, he's Kraglin. He does the mocap for Rocket. Yeah, he's Kraglin and Kraglin, Rocket's yeah. on-set uh, mocap. And, oh, man, um... So, so let's talk about the development that Peter gets in this movie. Oh my, so yeah. he, would you say that he he learns not to, to he matures a little in this movie? I, I mean, like yeah, he, I would honestly grows? say he doesn't even like, like the first movie was all about him like just coming to terms with his mother's death. This was about him like coming to terms with his like who his father is in every sense of that sentence, like. Like, he may have been your father boy, but he wasn't your daddy, is the most powerful line in the MCU, I think. Especially considering what happens right after. Precisely, yeah. God, yeah. And that's just it. And that's just it. Like, um... I mean, shit, the the Fast and the Furious built an entire franchise off of this. It's it's that whole concept of found family. It's that blood is thicker than... The the blood of a covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. James Gunn figured it out in two movies. (laughs) <laughs> and he didn't have Just to save family in any of the trailers. Shit. Oh yeah, you're I right. I mean, if nothing yeah. else, we can just say that Vin Diesel has a type. Oh yeah. Um, f- quick retweet this uh, video if you forgot Vin Diesel was even in this fucking movie. Retweet uh-huh, it if yeah, you forgot yeah. Bradley fucking Cooper's in this movie. Okay, actually, no, that one I still remember because, but because I just remember how impressive it is. Yeah, no, that's fair. Honestly, I think if I had to nitpick any criticism about this, um, I, I, the, the way they treat Mantis is kind of, eh, kind of iffy, because she just, but granted, it's supposed to be that it's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable because it's supposed to foreshadow that something's up with Ego. Oh, yeah, no, Mantis is, like, intentionally written to be weird as fuck because, like, she's been raised by Ego. Like, imagine what Peter would have been like if he was raised by Ego. Oh, God, I'd rather not. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, it's a miracle Mantis is, like, as coherent as she is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which, for the record, Palm Clemente as Mantis is a fucking joy in every movie. Like, yeah, I need to watch more of her stuff. Yeah, so as far as standalone versus, you know, whatever, it's probably the most standalone movie in this phase, because, like, it's honestly the first Guardians movie did more to connect them to the rest of the MCU than this one did. This one's pretty much just a sequel to the first Guardians. The only thing is, like, you might be confused why Groot is younger in Infinity War if you skip this one. Yeah, but... and. That's and it. yeah, maybe confused why Nebula is suddenly so friendly with everyone. But other than that, yeah. <laughs> Actually, that might be yeah. more confusing than yeah. the Groot part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, rating. <sighs> platinum. Yeah, man. platinum. I mean, this and the other Guardians is like, I legitimately feel like it's just a great movie aside from just being a great superhero movie. Yeah, like it's a great space opera, honestly. Yeah, it is. It is. It's. it's... <laughs> Again, reminiscent of the best of Futurama. <laughs> I still haven't seen that. Eh, it's a, it's available everywhere. You'll you, you'll get around to it eventually. Yeah. And All right. So, uh, what's after this one? Spider-Man: Homecoming. Oh. So hmm. I'm gonna go ahead and talk about all the parts that I don't like about this movie first, so that I can then talk about the parts that I do like, because I don't know that's uh-huh. how I talk. So, the plot is the movie's weak point for me because. This yep. feels like a lot of yeah. good actors and good characters that are just uh, saddled with a lot of subpar writing. Like, here's my yeah. biggest issue with this movie. Um, the whole huh? plot line of Peter is that he wants to try and get away from his normal life as a teenager to become an Avenger and be Spider-Man full-time. That concept is the complete antithesis of Peter Parker's character. And I know I said when we started doing this list, we wouldn't compare any of these to comics or other adaptations, but I have to in this case because this is Spider-Man. 
Yeah, the whole exactly. yeah, point that... of Peter Parker's character yeah. is that he's constantly wrestling between being Peter Parker and being Spider-Man, and no matter what he chooses, it feels like he loses. Spider-Man wins, yeah. Peter Parker loses. That is the whole point of the character, and this movie just ignores that. Like, yeah, yeah, that's that's honestly my biggest issue with it too. One thing I did like, uh, so like, it just made it hard to feel sim- sympathetic for him in this. One thing I did like, though, is the way they frame the Vulture as being, like, a dangerous to Spider-Man, but still too low-profile for the Avengers to actually be bothered with him. That was a nice... Ooh, yeah. Fr- that, that was a nice twist. Yeah, that is a, that is a great point. Yeah, that, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, because he's really just the guy, one of the guys who was on cleanup after the Battle of New yeah. York, and he got screwed yeah, over which, by like, Tony I'll Stark, talk a lot which... about his characterization later, because I think we're honestly going to spend more of this talking about the Vulture than we will about Spider-Man. So, yeah, I'm probably going to leave characters for last. So, like, the action is really good because I think the great thing about the action is it feels smooth and choreographed, but it still really Mm -hmm. takes into account and emphasizes how new Peter is to being Spider-Man. Like, he makes so many mistakes that it just, it makes sense because he's 15 and he's been Spider-Man for less than a year in this movie. Then, then all of a sudden, and then for the next half of the movie, his his daddy, his billionaire daddy takes away his... Says decides uh, that's it. No more bailouts. Yeah, Tony Stark basically just decides. No, fuck it. You do not have three movies to figure this shit out. <laughs> you are going to go through my entire character arc in the next thirty minutes, you little shit. <laughs> now stand there while I pontificate the entire point of the end of my trilogy to you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's basically what happened. Oh man. Yeah. No. So yeah, yeah as far as the characters, like. I feel like the dialogue and the characters in the movie strong suit. Like, this is going to be the biggest point that I'm going to bring up right now. The high schoolers mm-hmm. feel like actual teenagers. How fucking often does that happen yes. in a Hollywood movie? Like, let me put it this way. This movie came out the summer I finished my freshman year of college. So high school was still very fresh in my memory. Like, I, I didn't go to uh-huh. a private school, but I went to a charter in high school. So a lot of the personality types being shown in this movie, especially, like, since Peter's around a bunch of STEM kids and smart-ass debate kids were very reminiscent of right. people I went to school with in a very visceral and uncomfortable way. Oh, <laughs> Especially <God. laughs> fucking Flash. Okay, first of yeah. all, turning Flash from an obnoxious oh, or typical no. jerk into just, like, a dipshit from the debate team was genius. Because of how yes. infuriating it is. Absolutely. Everybody went to school with the Flash. Nobody goes to school with the fucking stereotypical mm-hmm. comic book Flash Thompson because they don't really exist anymore. Most guys right. like that exactly. are probably also play D&D, so it doesn't really work. Oh. <laughs> like, yeah, sorry, old-school comic book fans, but Flash Thompson really just grows up to be Travis Willingham. Well, um, uh, it's funny that you mentioned how accurate they... how much they nailed the high schoolers here, because, uh, did, I don't know if I ever... T- I don't know if I told you this, but um, I actually sent in, like, a little photo because they were calling for uh, extras. You did tell me that, For yeah. that movie. yeah. Yeah, and uh, I of course I got turned down, so I just I was just like, hmm, wow. So I guess I'm not that young. <laughs> this isn't the early 2000s. This really isn't the early 2000s anymore, where I could pass as a high schooler. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. So yeah, yeah. Props to them for uh, yeah, and I mean like dedication to the craft. The, the characters don't look 15 necessarily, but like they could pass for 18 on a good day. I think. Yeah, exactly. Especially, um, God, his especially Tom Holland, who's apparently in his early twenties. Oh yeah, no, he's I a couple. I still don't believe it. Yeah, all like the high school actors in this movie are a couple years older than me. Ah, okay. Yeah. God. Also, but uh, we got to talk about his uh, the breakthrough star from this movie was uh, breakthrough supporting character, I should say. Yeah. Is, uh, well, not MJ, but the uh, guy in the chair. The guy in the chair. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was like, yeah. I mean the. Yeah, t- for big iconic moments, I said I'm watching porn is one of the funniest out of nowhere lines in an MCU movie. Like, I rank that up there with you and Banner better not be playing hide the zucchini. Like, <laughs> holy shit, that that was Chef's Kiss perfection cringe humor. But like, this was the yeah, this was with, the only movie where they could get away with that kind of joke because he's a fucking fifteen year old. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But yeah, let's... And, yeah, like, Aunt May. I really liked what they did with her in this movie, like, making her the cool aunt who's, like, you know, visibly struggling to sort of help Peter because, like, you know... Mm-hmm. I-, I think, like, the position that she's in honestly feels very sympathetic in a very different way than if she had been, like, a 70-something-year-old woman. 
Yeah, good yeah. point. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, speaking of the other, we I briefly mentioned earlier, but yeah, yeah let's talk about uh, the MJ reveal, which. Okay, how so did they keep that a secret? By not posting the car. Wait, MJ reveal meaning like Michelle's name actually being MJ? So, yeah. well, I mean, it's not that hard a secret to keep. They just only ever refer to her as Michelle up until that scene. But, like, here's yeah, here's my thing. Here's my take on people getting irritated that they somehow made MJ black or whatever. Like, first of all, fuck you. Zendaya's the best. Like, I'll yes. fight you. Second of yeah. all, here's my... Yeah, get th actually, my issue is more with Marvel than it is with the fans. I mean, my issue is with the fans, but my issue is also with Marvel. Here's the thing. Like, yeah. we agree that, like, this is a great character, but personality-wise, she has basically nothing in common with Mary Jane Watson, right? So right. here's the thing, like, mm -hmm. they, this character, Michelle, is a great character on her own, a good love interest, as we saw in Far From Home, but, like, she's not really Mary Jane, like, character-wise. But, like, their whole logic of, oh, yeah, we named the character MJ as a reference or Easter egg to the fact that she's a love interest makes no fucking sense to me. Because, like, what that shows <laughs> to me is that they don't have enough faith in the actual character they wrote to let her stand on her own two feet as a love interest and have to literally name her after a different character to get that point across the audience. Which, like, here's the God, thing. If you're yeah, going to create a, a new black female character, let her stand on her own two feet. Either commit or don't. And that's the thing. That, to me, was a sign that Marvel wasn't really willing to commit to this character. Yeah. yeah. And, like, talking about reveals, I want to talk about the fucking Vulture. Dude. Okay, so here's the thing. They kind of foreshadow, yeah. they foreshadow it really well that like he has a kid at school and he has a kid on the debate team, but when it turns out to be Peter's date is fucking amazing. And that whole car ride scene where Vulture figures out Peter's identity is one of the most well-shot scenes yeah. in the MCU. Dude, yeah, it's honestly the best scene in the movie, yeah. and it doesn't involve a single costume at all. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It, yeah, it's it says it's a, a lot about this yeah. movie that the best scenes are the ones where the characters are out of costume. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah, honestly, funny thing, my hot take about Vulture is that he's not a sympathetic villain. Oh? I'm listening. I mean, nothing in this movie suggests that he was ever a good person at any point. Like, let's run down what happens to his character, right? At the beginning uh -huh. of this movie, he has mortgaged his house to capitalize on the destruction of New York by getting involved with the cleanup of the city. And then he immediately gets all that stripped away by the government coming and doing it themselves. So... Okay, yeah, rough rough go, buddy, but, like, you can bounce back from that. His plan B is to steal the salvage and become a backstreet arms dealer using alien technology. That's his plan B. <laughs> and then, when he... Well, when you put it that way. And then, later on in the scene where the first shocker, where he grabs a disintegration when he kills him, he's like, oh, I thought that was the gravity gun. Two things about that scene. First of all, he doesn't uh -huh. feel bad or shocked that he's killed the guy. He just feels, whoops, I did an oopsie, which implies to me he's probably killed people before. Also, he still <laughs> built a fucking disintegration gun. That was still a thing you had that you wanted other people in New York fucking city to use. The fact that you meant to grab a gravity gun doesn't make that less bad. Also, he very much threatens oh. to kill Peter and, quote, everyone he loves. If he gets in his way. Like, the fact that he finds out the Spider-Man is a 15-year-old who has a crush on his daughter does not dissuade him at all. Remind me where in all of this what it was supposed... Is he a good person because he loves his daughter? Is he a good person just because he got fucked over by a billionaire? Everybody in this country gets fucked over by a billionaire. They have a footnote on your birth certificate if you're born in this country that says, You will get fucked over by a billionaire by the time you hit 15. That doesn't make him a good or sympathetic person. That just makes him American. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's good points. Yeah. Yeah, I'm convinced. Yep. And I mean, yeah, All so... Right. Aside from the references to Civil War, it's a pretty standalone movie. Yeah. Yeah. That tries to go for that John Hughes thing and mostly succeeds, actually, like you said, yeah. for the... Which, I mean, is also part of the problem, the though. It went for, like, the most stereotypical high school movie coming-of-age beats when all of the characters felt like they would have done much better in a movie that was trying to subvert those tropes instead of lean into them. Right, right. And um, you want to just talk about the ending where uh, it he turns down the iron spider suit, but we all know that's bullshit? Yeah, I mean, I was just happy to see the iron spider suit in a fucking movie. That was a cool Easter egg for me. 
And then the uh -huh. fact that we saw him wearing uh -huh. it in the Infinity War trailer blew my mind, because I, like, you know, that got me excited. Yeah. <laughs> right. Honestly, hot take, the um, MCU Iron Spider suit's a better design than the comic book one. Yeah, yeah, to, to the point that the video game has it. And it, it looks great in the video game, too. Yeah, yeah so... Uh... And also, um, the after credit scene. Do you, do you even remember what it was? That's the one where he's, like... Vulture talking to Scorpion, right? To, to Vosmont. Oh, that's who that's supposed to be? Yeah, Matt Gargan, Scorpion. Oh. Yeah. Okay, yeah. see, uh, that's what I was just going to ask you. It's like, because I only know that actor as Voss Montenegro yeah, that's from fair. Far Cry yeah. 3. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what the definition of insanity is? Making a spider two Spider-Man movies and having neither of them take place in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, where does... Where does uh... Homecoming take place for the fucking suburbs, Queens. No, I mean it has a Queens, but like the major fight scenes are on a ferry. Not like he never actually swings through the sky skyscrapers in this movie. I think it's important to point that out. Oh shit, that's yeah. right. There's even a joke about it where he has to run through the. Oh yeah, the, the running through the um golf course scene. Like I felt that in my core, for reasons who people who know me in real life will understand. Ah, yeah. Uh, all right, so I think we've kind of talked this movie down. Yeah. Death. Uh, what 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 rating do you want to go? I with? gave it a weak silver. I gave it bronze. I, I considered it giving it bronze, but I mean, it's like, admittedly, the fact that I never rewatched this. This is the only Phase Three movie I never rewatched. Probably meant it should have been bronze, but it's like, my here's the thing: it's not Spidey's best outing, but it is so far from his worst. Uh huh. Y yeah. Like the the fact and that's a whole other Tom Holland being my favorite live action Spidey and the fact that all the characters are really good is enough to keep this from being bronze because they at least didn't fuck that up. Yeah, I hear you. I understand. Yeah, yeah, but it's like I have no desire to ever watch this movie again. I really don't. I was I actually kind of relieved that yeah. I couldn't find a way to rewatch it. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's not on Damn. Disney Plus. Oh, I have to pay $4 to rent it on YouTube? Okay, sorry, yes. Tom Holland. But, uh... uh well, I, I would shell out for Far From Home, probably. Yeah. 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 But anyway, moving episode. on to Ragnarok, a.k.a. The Resurrection of Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, I mean, it's God. it's just a fucking amazing comedy, just in and of itself. Like, Taika Waititi's brand of humor was... um, It's like, you could see on screen him breathing life into all of these fucking dried-out characters after what Dark World did to them. So good! So much Yeah, this is life. literally just oh make people like Thor, the movie. Finally get some good fucking Asgardian lore, and, like, the plot literally, just the way they write Thor, let alone the character development, turns Thor into one of the most interesting and well-beloved characters in the franchise overnight. Yeah. Yeah, basically overnight sensation. Like even from the first trailer, because um, Taika Waititi had been making movies before this. He made um, I know what we do in the shadows is probably his most well. Yeah, they they I know most people know it these days as far as because of the Hulu series, but yeah. yeah, it was a movie first and before Ragnarok, and yeah, I mean once we saw that trailer, everybody knew this movie was gonna be fucking amazing. Yes, exactly. Like I didn't even mind that um. They basically the, gave away the whole Planet Hulk thing in the trailer, but... Oh, no, honestly, they, they needed to do that to get people's attention. Shit, that's right. Yeah, no, keep yeah, in I'm mind, thinking, yeah, they see, had to do a lot of work to get people interested in a Thor sequel at this point. That's true, yeah, and it's and that's another thing. Like, this this movie was so impactful that it's hard for me to, to even remember, as you just heard, that just how lackluster and milquetoast uh, Thor was Keep in mind... This. Chris Hemsworth was tired of playing Thor before they brought Taika Waititi in. Yep. Yeah, when yep, I say this yep. is the and resurrection then... of Chris Hemsworth, like, I fucking mean it. Oh, and, like, gosh. not just the humor, the gladiator match, the Thor doing the immigrant song on Bifrost are just amazing, still-beloved fight scenes. And Hela is so much yeah. fun to watch in any fight scene she's in. Jesus, yeah. Um, And not only that, but, uh, okay, so this movie, along with Winter Soldier, it, uh... It, I feel like it exemplifies what a platinum tier movie is because not only is it fun, but it all, but it also has a point. Yeah. And the whole point, and the whole backdrop behind here, here is um, imperialism sucks. Yeah, exactly. Colonialism sucks. Yeah, freaking. Uh, the best way to do it is to the best yeah. way to solve it is just to summon a demon from hell and burn the whole thing down. Yeah. 
Thor, as you Thor do. went to Earth and became a commie and came back and was like, you know what? Fuck imperialism. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And, uh... I oh, mean, yeah. and um, you can't not talk about Taika Waititi, not just for his directing, but playing the comic relief character, Korg. Dude, Korg is so precious. Uh, he's the best. And Meek. Yep. Yeah, because... Hey, Meek. Just... I'm Korg. It's Meek. Uh, <laughs> oh, and uh, he's dead. Oh, Meek, you're alive. <laughs> oh, he's so good. Such a good character. Lord, because I'm a sucker for that uh, comedy trope of big character, tiny voice. Yeah. And it's just... Korg, uh, the original himbo. <laughs> well, George of the Jungle, but okay, but, fair, but yeah, fair. I get what you mean. <laughs> but man, um, yeah, uh, the, the improv. Co- let's see, yeah, uh, we have. Yeah. I will say, like with the jokes, though, it does kind of have an. It's one of the issues Guardians of the Galaxy does, where like some jokes are misplaced. But like Taika Waititi himself has said that the studio kept asking him to fit more comedy into it because they found him so funny, and it got to the point where he was like, man. "Are you guys sure? I don't actually think this is meant to be a funny scene." Yeah, right. Which, right yeah. yeah, but which, I mean, like, eh. it worked. I mean, yeah. And I was like, I think it's funny. Part of the reason this movie works as such a good standalone is that, like, despite there's a quick summary at the beginning of what Thor's been up to, and despite being a sequel to Dark World, it really feels like it was made to accommodate people who either hadn't seen it or had just forgotten or repressed it. Yeah, exactly. Because it starts with Thor literally talking to that skeleton. Yeah. Dude. I love that they... I, who knew that Chris Hemsworth had g- such strong improv chops? I mean, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, this he, is the he, first time they really actually played to his strengths as an actor, it feels like. Yeah, like, let's talk about the things that were improvised. Uh, everything he says while he's swinging from the chain. Oh, yeah. And the whole story about him being stabbed by Loki after yeah, so he picked him up. the funny story about that is they had, like, a general outline of what the story should be like, but, like, every take, Loki was transformed into a different thing that Hemsworth was just, like, improvising on the spot. Like, oh in one God. take, it, Loki was turned into a Turkish rug, and apparently Thor really <laughs> had, likes t- Turkish rugs. Like, I just want to oh like, see, a, like, <laughs> like, a compilation of all of the different takes for that scene alone. See how Man, absurd he got. Yeah. And yes, you see, Loki was oh. turned into a Bionicle Series 1, and of course, you know, I love Bionicle, so I picked it up, and they was like, well, that's me, and then he stabbed me. Stabbed me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Loki was disguised as a Snyder Cut, and... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also love that, like, in the first movie, someone is very ham-fistedly just, like, Loki's always had a pension for mischief, and then like this movie's like, oh, so on Asgard, pension for mischief just means frequently stabs your older brother. Yeah. <laughs> Which, speaking of Loki's uh, reintroduction to this movie, okay, be honest, uh, did you recognize Sam Neill and Matt Damon? Uh, I recognized Matt Damon, not Sam Neill. But in my defense, I... I've only seen Sam Neill in Jurassic Park. Yeah, and I've seen him in Jurassic Park and the... That there was a Jungle Book adaptation that he did way back in the day. But yeah, I, I recognize neither of them in that play. Hmm. Like, yeah, at no. all. I and also love just... the stupid fucking fan theory that that's actually Matt Damon and Loki kidnapped him from Earth just to play him in that fucking production. <laughs> sure, why not? I mean, it, it's just Jeez. stupid enough that I'm like, yeah, okay, internet, you can have this one. Absolutely, yep. yep. Yeah, no, like... And, oh my gosh, um... We haven't even gotten to Jeff Goldblum yet. Oh, God. Like, I mean, Jeff, all the new character entries, Jeff Goldblum is just Jeff Goldblooming it up. Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie is fucking amazing. Like, even mm-hmm, fucking mm-hmm. Ildris, El- Ildris Elba seems like he's having fun in this movie again. Yes, thank you. That's another thing. Yeah. I'm so happy that they expanded uh, Heimdall's it, role in this, because yeah. he's basically playing the shepherd. They finally turned so Heimdall of- into what he was meant to be, Black Jesus. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And um, shout of course, shout out to the ever unrecognizable Carl Urban. Yeah. No, Carl Urban's so underrated. So glad he's getting his due with the boys. I mean, I haven't watched. I'm not going to watch the boys. It's not my thing. But I'm glad that he finally has a mainstream role that he's getting appreciated for. Yeah. Yeah. Which that should it should have been he should have gotten recognized for Dread, but yeah. that's what happens when you open against the. That's what happens when you open the same year as the Avengers. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's getting his revenge now, boys. <laughs> right. Because he kills the superheroes in that. 
Jeez. God. Okay. Oh man. Yeah. Um, the boys is what the Snyder Cut wishes it will be. Hot take. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There Zack you go. Snyder wants what the boys series has. We don't talk about the comics. Yeah. 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 And I mean, on top of all the comedy, like this movie does have some of the most heartfelt dialogues between Thor, Loki, and Odin. Like just those characters, like their relationship being emphasized in this is just really fleshes out their characters yeah. in a way that they needed to be. Yeah. Like I think this movie the thing that this movie accomplishes is it explains why Thor would still care about Loki at this point. Which like at one point the answer is he doesn't. Like Thor straight up says, Loki, I don't really think there's any hope for you left. And that's what kicks mm-hmm. Loki's ass into gear to like come in at the end and save him. Yep. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. Jesus. That's so so many layers. Yep. So many good things. Yeah. Oh I mean, my god. Taiko like don't onion. miss. He don't miss. He does not miss. Nope. And he's coming back for Love and Thunder. Got which it. I cannot wait. The fact that this movie that we thought was going to be end of Thor's arc before Infinity War was so popular that people were begging for a sequel before Infinity War even happened is just as a testament to how much he revitalized that character. Uh huh. Yeah. And made a whole made a whole new fat uh let's uh, you know would it be safe to say that uh to valkyrie is pretty much a gay icon at this point i would say so i mean tessa yeah. thompson yeah. is also like a bi icon so i mean why can't valkyrie be absolutely yep. yeah true no. true like i can't wait to see uh, our fucking bi queen of asgard in love and thunder it's going to that movie is going to introduce a whole new generation to ronnie james Dio, just like how this one introduced a whole generation to led zeppelin it's gonna be great. Yeah, no, that that that's the ideal scenario. All right. Yeah. Um, so so I mean, come on. We said it earlier, but yeah, it's fucking platinum. It's platinum. It's Ragnarok. It's, it's fucking Ragnarok. Yeah. 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 And I mean, so closing out this episode is Black Panther, and I mean, we have to talk about Chadwick Boseman before we talk about yeah. the medium. So I mean, I'm sure all of you know. Um, a couple months before we recorded this, Chadwick Boseman, the actor of T'Challa, tragically passed away um he had colon cancer for four years and none of us knew and he made all of these movies while going through treatment what a fucking icon i mean there are people who have been acting for decades in hollywood and are still acting that don't have the fucking resume he stacked up in four fucking years yeah and we're, we're not just talking about mcu things we're talking uh he ran the table of black historic icons from uh from James Brown to Jackie Robinson to Thurgood Marshall, like all, all yeah, all three of those were in the span of I, I don't know, like the like four years. Yeah, no, all those were like I think from 2014, like which would have been like right before he got diagnosed, up until like just two years ago. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, and I mean the outpouring of just shock and grief and emotion is passing just shows how impactful this movie was, like. We're talking about it today, like, mm-hmm. just as a superhero movie, but, I mean, you can't understate or ignore the cultural impact that this movie had. Like, the, 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 so many mm-hmm. black children and children of color, you know, now have a superhero they can look up to and dress up as that looks like them, that has a similar background yeah. to cultural background to them. Like, you can't understate that. You know, these kids, like, mm-hmm. every kid has a movie that they wear the fuck out watching it over and over again as a kid, and for so many kids... That movie is going to be Black Panther. It's going to be a black superhero. I can't put into words how much it means that Chadwick Boseman gave us this character with the finesse that he did. Yes, exactly. And, um, yeah, and, but we had Black Panther and, um, also even the supporting characters. There's going to be a whole generation of, not not to change the subject, just a a little bit, but uh, the, Shuri and, um, shoot, what was the... Nakia and Okoye and, like, all the... Nak- yeah, I'm yeah. gonna have a whole section Nakia just talking Okoye. about the female characters in this movie, too, but, I mean, it's just, like... <clears throat> yeah. 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 So, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. Um, and fuck cancer. Yeah. <laughs> so, moving on to the actual movie, I mean... The it's great. great. Like, literally, my only nitpick with this movie is that the plot is slightly predictable. Like, the moment Killmonger shows up and challenges T'Challa for the throne, like, you can predict, like, the rest of the major narrative beats. Like... But you know what? But it's... What I have written next is the writing and acting is what makes all that work and elevates the movie to new heights. Like, 
when you have all these amazing black actors and creators in front and behind the camera, you know, just the way they, and just the set beats and production and everything, like, it elevates this from a superhero movie to a cultural phenomenon. Yes. And that's why it's... Absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, it's... I almost feel like we shouldn't bother talking about, like, the plot because it's hard to put into words how much it means to people. But, like, just the characters themselves, like, you know... T'Challa is mm-hmm. as bad as it's always, but I think the real standouts in this movie are the women. Like, the Dora Milaje, yeah, the Queen Mother, sure. and Shuri are all... I mean, this movie has such a wide variety of different characters that showcase all the different ways to be a strong female character that are all equally exactly. valid, but yeah. so very important. Yeah, Tradi- and uh, so many of these personalities, too, are just traditionally white roles. Like, freaking Shuri quotes the what are those meme by name in this movie and she's oh and, and it doesn't like um and not not once does this movie undermine her intelligence either though because she she contains multitudes that, that that that's really what i'm getting at here yeah just to quote another meme yeah yeah and then of course speaking of a uh, wide range of uh personalities uh meanwhile uh okoye is the doria malaje right yeah i'm just okay yeah and yeah then you have okoye who's another physically strong female but also emotionally strong like she has to fight her fucking significant other without hesitation for her country like and uh, and as for as for his mother like all i need to say is that she's played by angela bassett yeah moving no. on. the fact that angela bassett agrees <laughs> to take a role should speak to like the how strong of a character that is yeah yes, angela bassett don't yes. fuck around yep <laughs> not not no not at all and of course, we got to talk about our top three MCU villain, King Killmonger. Yeah, my top three MCU villains going from number three, number one is literally Zemo, Killmonger, Thanos. Same. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I also appreciate that this movie just has two token white actors. Yes. Yeah. Freaking Bilbo Baggins and uh, Andy Serkis. Lord. Yeah. No. I mean. Yeah, no, I mean, just, God, this movie's so fucking good. Like, the action yeah, scenes are all fucking amazing. Like, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. fucking chase yeah, scene like, in Korea. Think... Yes, yeah. no, I was I just about to say, like, I know a lot of people have criticized thing. the CGI in the final fight scene, but it really never bothered me that much. I still think it's an amazing it, scene. Yeah, yeah same like, here. It, it didn't... Anytime somebody says CGI is bad in a current movie, I almost never know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah, honestly, me neither, because, uh, not to mention, the, the visuals weren't really the... They weren't the, the point. Focus of that battle anyway? Not only is really not the point, but I honestly think there are plenty of scenes in Infinity War with worse CGI. But nobody fucking talks about that. Just saying. Just fucking saying. Bruce Bruce Banner's head in the Hulkbuster. You mean Bruce Banner's head a couple inches above the Hulkbuster? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, when we get to Infinity, yeah. War, Infinity War, we'll talk about the fucking Iron Man suit. But yeah, no. Like... <laughs> God, yeah, no, I mean, what is there to say about this movie that we haven't already said? Okay, so, um, like, like I said, uh, one, one of the staples of a platinum is that uh, it makes you think as well as uh, being a, serving up a good movie. And going back to our villain Killmonger, he is the child who burned the vil- the neglected child who burned the village down to feel its warmth. Yeah, and, and I think I know I'm Killmonger. I'm, for... I'm straight up stealing that from a tweet. Oh but, no, I've seen that know, tweet. It's it's the, the thing. With, it's so apropos. the thing with Killmonger is that he's a good sympathetic villain because he has a sympathetic backstory, but his actions, you know, make you no longer feel sorry for him. That's true. Because like that's true. Yeah. Like you know, you feel sympathetic for his childhood, but the fact that you know what he sees as the right course of action, like the duality between T'Challa and Killmonger is the best part of the movie because they both think that Wakanda should be helping the world but in totally different ways. Yeah. And that's exactly yeah. it. It's the whole It feels very Magneto versus Professor X in a way. Yes, that's exactly. I was just going to say I was going to say MLK ML, Malcolm X dynamic, but I felt like I was too on the nose. Yeah. That, okay, we were on the same wavelength there then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man. Um Yeah, uh Platinum. Yeah, Platinum. Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever. 
I mean, hey, Vin Diesel's impressive too. He voices a Groot for all the foreign language dubs. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, like, yeah, the way he's able to deliver L Groot with the same gravita as I am Groot, or I don't know any other languages. Fuck. Okay, moving on. <laughs> what does she want, Groot? <laughs> Yeah, young Groot switches to Orewa Groot. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, oh, shit, Jesus. our viewer count just went to zero. Okay. <laughs>